this capacity in this fashion. So, uh, so I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to share with you um, what I've had the opportunity to share a number of times. So it's, um, it's not a fresh message, but it is one that um, I've enjoyed putting together, and we can all hear me, right? Marianne, can you hear me? Good. Norman, can you hear me? <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I like it when you're close. <laughs> okay, what was anything? Let's go to um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Let's look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. And uh, it'll be starting with verse 22. Okay. Um, as a prelude to uh, what we're going to read, we're going to be reading about uh, two people that uh, got to know Jesus very, very well. This is actually comes from a series that a number of assemblies, I think, I know Wellspring did this, and as you know, I was at the Wellspring uh, uh, Chapel for, I think it was eight years, and uh, this is up in the Groton area, and, uh, and I've actually seen them grow to a, you know, a, a well-established uh, assembly, and they're very active with the other assemblies, and so on and so forth, but they had a series called The Encounters with Christ, and uh, I think, again, as other assemblies have done this, and this was really a a blessing for all of us. I was assigned uh, to speak on these particular verses, and um, and I was blessed. Believe me, I was blessed to to again rediscover Jesus again in these uh, two encounters that he had. And when you think about it, I mean, this is really you know the story of our own lives. I mean, we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. We have all met him in our own unique way, and it's it's a very real spiritual. Uh, again, encounter that we have with the Lord. Um, so, so it really is um, um, something that um, is, is real in our own lives. But let's step into this, and then we'll certainly pray and get into the message here. In, in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 22, And behold, well, first of all, the, the background to this, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship, uh, unto the other side, much people gathered unto him and was nigh unto the sea. He was near unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. We can certainly see that Jairus had faith. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. I'm speaking from the, 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 the King James, by the way. And when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press, uh, came in, okay, when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. 
For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. And then Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power or virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. And when he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Your daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and, some, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepest. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she, had, she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be, should be um, given to her to eat. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the portion of scripture that you had your servant Mark write and thank you for the details and thank you for these, for these two families, dear Father, that were restored. A woman that didn't have a family and she was able to go back to her family and again Jairus to have his family <coughs> again, um, be given the, uh, the, the, the awesome, uh, again, the awesome experience of seeing their, their precious daughter rise from the dead. So we thank thee for that. And bless us as we <coughs> look at your precious and holy word. In your son's precious name, we thank thee. Amen. Now, I didn't read the first portion of it because of time, and that would have been uh, chapter 5, verse 1, but we know that in this particular chapter, we actually have three miracles taking place. And uh, if I might just define this, we have authority over the demons in uh, the beginning of this, and that was the demoniac of the Gadarenes that Jesus went out to and uh, cast out the demons. And in these two particular cases, we have Jesus' authority over sickness, and, and the last portion of this would be his authority over death. And we might define this also in another way that a dead daughter is brought back to life and a family is made whole. Um, a dying woman is restored to life and society 
And if I have time, I'll even mention, as I summarize this, I'll mention my own brief experience delivered from the death of despair. So here we have a ruler of the synagogue comes to Christ asking that Christ would lay his hands on his daughter and that she would be healed. From the other gospel accounts, we learn that she was the only child. And as, as we can gather, as, as we read this, she was also 12 years old. Jesus is worshiped. Jairus comes to Jesus and no one else. Albert Barnes in his commentary states that a more correct translation of this request would be my daughter was so sick that she must be by this time dead. Can we imagine the urgency, the desperation, and the pain of this man's request? We're reminded of the Shunammite woman who runs to Elisha at the sudden death of her only son after they were working out in the fields in uh, 2 Kings 4, or the nobleman from Capernaum who implores Jesus to heal his son who was at the point of death, or the woman of Cana crying out to him to cast out the devil who is grievously vexing her daughter. How many times has God heard these cries come from a father or mother? Dear God, my child is dying. Please help me. David pleading for his newborn child's life from Bathsheba, and then again for his son Absalom. Parents weeping over Herod's massacre of the two-year-olds in Bethlehem. And not that long ago, the, the massacre in Newtown where 20 first graders and six teachers were killed in 2012. In Proverbs 13, we read of four things that never say it is enough the womb, the barren womb, the parched earth, fire, and the grave. In this world, you'll have tribulation, the Lord says, trouble and suffering. But I have overcome the world. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Take note of my brief lifespan, why do you make all people so mortal? This is from Psalm 89, 47. We have Jesus dealing with the problems of humankind, coming into this world and dealing with death over and over and over again. Death, dying, the effects of death. And in this case here, we have Jesus responding to the cry of Jairus, come and save my, my dear daughter. A multitude followed him and thronged him. It, it, again, this is emphasized uh, really uh, quite often in these particular chapters. And why wouldn't they have? Obviously, Jesus' reputation is, is growing. It has grown. He's known about. His fame is spreading in terms of what, what he has done. And can we imagine, the, again, the work that is before Jesus? In some respects, you might say that chapter 5 is a day in the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure there were probably more instances where he had healed or touched or whatever. And um, 
we can't imagine again what a, what a, a day in his life must have been like as, as he again experiencing the throngs and the crowds wanting to again you know be be healed of whatever it is it might be or to even have an audience with him but now we have an interruption not now lord no 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 not now i mean this is like you know i often feel like an ambulance is coming down the road and all of a sudden you know the ambulance has got to stop <laughs> and there's something else more important more important than my my daughter dying well, Jesus was unfazed by this interruption. He would not be rushed, though Jairus must have been very aggravated by this, saying within himself, is not my dilemma more important than yours? I have a daughter that is dying. Cannot this woman who is unclean, due to a persistent bleeding problem, have waited? Not now, Lord, not now. According to Levitical law, if a woman was, has a discharge of blood for many days, other than the, the time of her customary impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. She is to be separated from Jewish society as long as the problem continues. This practice was the same for a leper. Added to her suffering were the 12 years of disappointing results from the physicians she went to for help and the expenses of the treatments. Leaving her destitute that she was, leaving her destitute and she was getting worse. Having heard about these healings taking place, her only hope now is Jesus. She approaches Jesus from behind and below, obviously not to be seen for all the other people knew who she was she would only touch the hem or fringe of Jesus' garment. And little did she know that Jesus would know about this without having to see her, for he was God who knows all things. An interesting side thought. Touching that which is sacred and pure will make me also sacred and pure? Well, did she think that this garment had innate powers to heal and to cure her? No, I do not think that this was the, uh, the form of her thinking because uh, Jesus, uh, when he confronts her face to face, says, your faith in me has made you well. She was not in a state or position to come before Christ as Jairus, a well-respected person in the community. She was a diseased outcast and came within the restraints of the law and the stigma of the disease upon her. She could not come as others for fear of being turned away by the crowd and Jesus himself. She was an untouchable. God set up these laws of separation and it was not God's intent to have the children of Israel. It was, it was again, it was not God's sole intent to have the children of Israel obey these laws for physical health. But surely this would have resulted um, this would have resulted, but more importantly, it was for spiritual health reasons as well. For if we look at that portion in Leviticus, uh, actually this has been a little uh, later on in Leviticus, we read in chapter 15, thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. Almighty God was in their midst, 
All through this book of Leviticus, we hear the command, Be ye holy. Well, we have now an interesting perspective in the gospel account. God's tabernacle is among his people again, but now as a God in the flesh. But now as God in the flesh. God's temple is among them, and God is now with them. God's tabernacle, again, is not within curtains, of woven linen, wood, gold, or animal skins, but God in the flesh. She does not die in her uncleanness as she would have under the law. But now she is healed. For the embodiment of grace, the Lord Jesus, whose garments she touches, heals her, recognizes her, and receives her back into fellowship. When she was healed, having touched the hem of Jesus' garment, Jesus turns around and sees her. Mark and Luke add details regarding Jesus' reaction to the healing, for Jesus asked the question, who touched me? This sounded like a foolish question to the disciples, for he is touched by many in the crowd, in the press upon him. But what our Lord must be asking is, who touched me with the faith that would result in my healing her. Jesus wants to meet and to know this person. So as Jesus turns around and looks at her, she realizes that this incident cannot be kept secret from Jesus, for he knows what took place. Fearing and trembling, she tells all that she did. Again, she was unclean before she touched Jesus' garment. She broke the law in doing this. But Jesus calls her daughter. She's fully accepted, no longer separated from her family, people, and Christ himself. What a word is this? Daughter, my child, a tender expression of a parent to its child, speaking of care and protection. In Isaiah 66, 13, as a mother consoles a child, so I will console you. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Her bleeding is stopped. She can now offer the two doves for her cleansing, knowing that I am once again a part of my family and community. I can feel the touch of others and likewise touch them. Be healed of your affliction. Interact with others. Take on a normal life. The New English Translation Bible says, Daughter, you took a risk of faith. Now you are healed and whole. How limited would this encounter have been if she was healed only physically? If Jesus had not stopped to identify her and say these words of comfort and healing, she now met the Savior face to face. She understands that Jesus knew me in my affliction. Thou hast known my soul in adversity. He has heard my groaning and freed me from the bonds of physical and spiritual death. For he hath looked from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven to the Lord, behold the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner and to loose those appointed to death. Now a relationship is established. Jesus has touched and healed her broken heart. 
Is this not the most important aspect of salvation in Christ? For Christ to know me in my affliction and who comforts me with his words of belonging and hope. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Paul didn't stop at the God of all comfort, for in stopping there in my reading, I ask, what does it mean to say that the God of all comfort, but to realize that he comforts us in all, all our tribulation. There is not a problem, physical malady, that he is not able to comfort us in. We can see how God does this in these passages we just read. How did he comfort this woman? The woman with the issue of blood, untouchable, segregated in her interactions with the community she grew up in was now confined and restricted. She comes to Jesus in her desperation and he allows himself to be touched. Does this not remind us of Hebrews 4.15? For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. To her frightened surprise, Jesus wants to know her and to show her full acceptance. Come out of the darkness and into his sight and let his compassionate heart understand you. He hears her confession, reestablishes her identity. Jesus' first words to her was daughter, which she may have never heard since childhood. Daughter. My child, again, it speaks of belonging, family, home, a permanent relationship, care and protection. You have nothing now to fear. Consider the importance of that name, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Jesus emphasizes this in the teaching on, supplication, uh, on supplicating prayer. If a son asks for bread, will he receive a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he be given a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the things that you ask of him? Your faith in me has made you well. No one else, not the doctors who have their place, but me, Jesus. Re-enter into society. Go in peace. What peace she now possessed. Her body has been repaired and restored I can now renew relationships that had put me on that, that were put on hold. I am free. I am not fighting this futile battle of trying to stay alive and be healed of your affliction, plague and disease. Reestablish your network of friends and family. Be whole of thy plague. Amazing, amazing. We're now confronted with the statement. In Mark uh, 5.35, your daughter is dead. These people seem to have had no other notion of our Lord other than, an, uh, other than that of an eminent physician who might be useful while there is life but afterwards could do nothing. Jesus counters the statement of the, of the uh, daughter's death with, do not be afraid, only believe Luke's account adds, you, she shall be made well. 
The Lord gives hopeful encouragement disregarding the statement, bringing his focus back to himself. Your daughter is dead, they say. Give up the hope of your, of, of your daughter's healing. She is gone. It's over. Leave this teacher alone. He is of no help now. Jairus' hope of his daughter's healing is on the verge of shattering. How could she possibly be made well now? But Jesus strengthens his hope. Put your fears aside. Continue to believe in me, and she shall be made well. Jesus thins out the crowd around him to three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and those that were closest to him. And we can see at least three practical reasons for this, certainly to keep Jairus from further distractions from the crowd engaged only in conversation centered on the death of this little girl. And he wanted to show his glory to these three men who would become leaders in the church when he ascended to heaven. In fact, Peter would actually perform this miracle to Dorcas in almost the exact same way. Third, they would eventually help move uh, this di dispersing and noising crowd in Jairus' home, emptying the room of mourners. Coming now to the house, Jesus sees an uproar. Matthew describes the scene with flute players and a noisy crowd wailing. These were hired to help in the mourning process, and Jesus calls this a commotion. He is saying this is inappropriate because the child is not dead but sleeps. Jesus is scorned and ridiculed for, his, for this statement, another devastating distraction to Jairus' faith, to belittle the very one he depends upon for help. Well, Jesus then quiets the home by removing this crowd from the house, and now with the three disciples and the mother and father of this child, they go over to where the child has fallen asleep. The focus can now be on Jesus and the child. Jesus now fulfills Jairus' request. Come and lay your hands on her that she may, she may be healed. Well, putting his hand on hers and now saying the words Talitha Kumai, the little girl immediately gets up and walks. Can we imagine the amazement and joy that fills this home? Our daughter has been brought back to life. Again, Jesus has heard the groaning of these parents and loosens death's hold upon their daughter. Jesus has come to this bereaved family and called back to life the spirit, soul, and body of this 12-year-old daughter. Jesus could have spoken life-giving words as he did with the nobleman's son in John's Gospel, but he came with Jairus, helped him keep his focus, dispersed the distractions, came into the home and bedside of their daughter and held her hand, spoke life into the body of this child, raised her up and asked that she be fed. What kind of a God we have, but one full of compassion and mercy. And it's interesting to note that they both go to Jesus and no one else. Both have urgent requests and each one is in a dire emergency. And look at what Jesus was able to do. Well, I did say if time permits, I would 
step into this third part, which I didn't really give you any indication of, but, but I've often gone to this, particularly, as you know, during my um, recent loss of Rita and, and Matt, and even in now dealing with some, some uh, physical issues having to do with cancer and ongoing physical problem. And how I wish that Jesus, again, could have raised Rita and, uh, and Matt, and how I wish that he could have you know, totally healed me of, of this ongoing problem that, that I have. But I, I call this latter part of it, and again, I did say that, uh, that here we have the, the Lord again, you know, bringing joy into the lives of both of these here. But this one here I, I've entitled, Delivered from the Death of Despair. And each of these obviously has to do with death. And I know despair is something that um, occasionally I have to deal with it. And uh, in this particular case, I have a, a, a journal entry in 12-5-12. Uh, I uh, was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. And I says, oh, no, <laughs> not again. <laughs> so cancer number two and operation number three coming up. Well, at that particular time, I, I said, thank you, precious Father in heaven. You will not allow me to remain depressed. This cancer has touched and held me again with anxiousness, impatience, anger, doubt, dread, and fear. These things are not from thee, but from the pit of despair. Whom have I but thee? Soul thirst to satisfy, exhaustless spring. The water's free, all other streams are dry. It favored him of mine. I, 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 it's been such a comfort to me. And I mention it because, again, in both instances, we have both the woman that was healed and Jairus going to nobody else but Jesus. Going to Jesus. It reminds me of the disciples' confession. Where else can we go for you have the words of eternal life. In Psalm 94, 19, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your compass delight my soul. I think of our dear beloved Saint Joseph, back in the Old Testament, placed in the pit of rejection to be sold into slavery and removed from his family, taken to a foreign country. You were with him. As with Daniel, who was dropped into the pit of lions, in Psalm 94, 17, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have soon settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy will hold me up. And Job says, he keeps back his soul from the pit. Thank you for this uplift of heart and mind. It was a little moment of, again, a little resurrection, you might say, as I contemplated what you know, what my future was, was in store. I mean, obviously, time has gone, gone by. It's been, it's been now six years. I'm still dealing with it, but, but again, I certainly have, have a reasonable amount of health and uh, certainly joy in life. And unfortunately, you know, I, I think of this woman, you know, just stricken, you know, and getting worse and worse. And... Uh, um, I mean, I, my heart goes out to her, and as, as it also does to, to certainly Jairus, in terms of the, the possibility of having lost his only daughter. 
But, you know, we can certainly see in this, you know, the miraculous love of our Lord in the midst of, again, a extremely busy, busy schedule, if we could say. Actually, did he really have a Well, he did. He did. I mean, because he, he came to certainly go to the cross. But, but we can certainly take, uh, again, the remembrance of the fact that over and over again, you know, the Lord came to get rid of death. And here we have in my, my summary, our Lord came into this world to destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus said, Jesus did this by dying on the cross at Calvary, delivering us from the penalty of death, and now giving us the power over death. And in some respects, we have something even more than, again, the children of Israel had. I mean, God, they experienced the Lord, you know, in all actuality, in the flesh. And uh, again, in numerous instances, again, Jesus showed the, the, the children of Israel the power that he had. But ultimately, it was certainly not that as the main reason. I often feel that God, Jesus did this, certainly through compassion and whatnot, but ultimately to awaken the children of Israel to who he was. I am the resurrection and the life. So the healings were not the thing that he did, uh, how should I say, uh, you know, for the purpose of healing, but it was the means whereby they would know him. They would know him as the one that God promised from, from his other previous different portions of our Bible. But he has given us truly the power over death. What would it be if we would only have our sins paid for? Wonderful that that would be, but, but it would be so limited. And I think of the woman, for example, that if she was able to leave and certainly have, have that, that, that joy of knowing that I'm healed, but not know the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And surely it may very well have been that Jairus and the mother and the child themselves bowed down and worshiped the Lord and ultimately followed him. I mean, seeing what he had done. But Christ also gives us the power over death, and that is the Holy Spirit and ultimately the deliverance from the presence and dominion of death here on earth. I guess in some respects, I, I'm, I mean, having been stricken the way our family has, the, 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 again, for this past year, and then and now dealing with the, the ongoing problem with cancer, it's, it's, it's like, I guess I might say, I'm, I'm just tired of dealing with it, you know. And, um, but I am certainly experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ in a, in a new way, in a way that I, I, I suppose I never would have imagined because, again, he has certainly been the God of all comfort and blessing in my life. And I know I initially said when I first came down with cancer, Lord, I don't mind dying as it's the way I'm going to die, you know. So that's still before the Lord. I would love to be like Moses, you know. And in fact, I said to the doctor that uh, uh, I recently saw... Uh, actually, it, was, uh, it, would, it would be actually a week ago, I think, uh, this Monday. One of the oncologists that I have to see on a regular basis, and I said, well, listen, doctor, if I don't take these medications that, you know, you're most likely planning on giving me, well, how many years would you give me, uh, you know? And he says, well, you probably would have about eight years before 
cancer starts to really spread into other various different parts of the body. So that kind of gave me my answer, and uh, and so I had my choice of of uh, you know making the decision of taking the the medications, and you know obviously feeling the effects of that, or just waiting until you know the uh, the end of the eight years. But <laughs> this is something that uh, I'm I'm wrestling with, all right, because I I don't like the uh, I don't like the effects and certainly what it has upon me, but but God is certainly going to see me through this particular time, and I see this as another facet and phase of, of you know of the journey. But God lives within; He hears our feeble groans, He comforts the failing heart, and His love and hope from the pit of despair, and returns us again and again to the joy of our salvation. We have a wonderful Savior, and I'm hoping that, again, that this is something that you're going to experience in your own life. I know you have. You know, when we come to that, that moment of despair, you know, and we start to, to just, how should I say, almost lose it, you know, God literally will not allow us to go into that pit and stay there. I find myself just kind of hovering near it, you know, as I, as I, you know, I looked at the Lord. Keep me out of that hole, Lord. <laughs> May God add a blessing to his word. Our God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. And I do thank thee for your encounter with mankind. And oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a father to every one of us. And you call us your sons and your daughters. And I do thank thee for this example of Christ's so sensitive healing. And... Um, again, entering into the heart of this, this dear lady and entering into the heart of this family, raising this dear child from the dead and certainly delivering me from, again, moments of despair in my own life. And, uh, but thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for taking us this far. And certainly, mercy and truth will follow us all the days of our lives and we will certainly leave a legacy, dear Father, of, of uh, instances where you have just shown us your love and your mercy over and over and over again. How can we even at this moment in time deny, dear Heavenly Father, that we'll have a future that, that is not filled with joy or with foreboding or whatever, just get rid of it all and have us, our, our eyes ever upon you as the, the only one that is truly gonna fulfill and restore our souls. So we thank you, dear Father, for this, this message and this time. In your son's precious name, amen.